Oh man, the internet. Here we are again. It's the Overnightscape Central. I'm PQ River, and uh, yeah, every few years or so, uh, we talk about things like the internet here. And uh, yep, I got uh, Frank Edward Nora, Doc Slees, and uh, me and uh, you and uh, as always you're invited to follow up you're invited to participate uh you may not have gotten the invitation but if you listen to this complete broadcast transmission whatever we would call it uh, i will at the end give you full instructions how you can participate in the festivities next week as well as i mean if this was a topic that you wanted to make a point on uh you can do a follow up to this week's topic and it'll either wind up on next week's central or i do another show called the quake reversal satellite from time to time and uh, it would wind up there just in case you needed you you must have needed to know that and uh, i suppose i am obliged just in case to uh give you the full disclosure because really you can be part of the magic here each and every week on the overnight scape central um there's no rings to jump through there's no requirements uh and really no censorship to speak of uh we try to allow everybody uh their space their opinion and uh there are a couple ways i could do this show i and i could actually uh go back and forth and get each person on but i have this it's part of my personality i will like digress and i will interrupt if there's somebody else there and uh, for purposes of a untopic show where you're just kind of going like we do on the exit ramp that i guess works frank hasn't asked me to never come back again but on a show like this uh, it's real important that we all get to complete our thoughts uh and it's, it's it i it, it's tricky it's a tricky business and uh, I have that New Yorker thing to a T uh, as far as that style of discourse. So, yeah, I don't see myself hosting like Frank. Uh, for somebody who came up in basically the same sort of environment, I do envy Frank's ability to do discourse better and listen. I, I have a real listening problem when i am in the actual heat of uh a conversation and uh i i can have bad manners it's terrible uh, maybe i need an etiquette course that that could be it oh man um anyways uh this week as i said we are delving into this place that isn't a place but it has become a place in our lives you know it's like places i I like to use the example there are certain screens in legend of zelda that in my mind they these are actual places i have been Uh, same as rooms or buildings i have been in or mall these art of and and the internet is full of such like places uh 
and things changed. Uh, I just recently started getting back into chat rooms, which uh, th that's, I mean, Yahoo Chat was free. It was unsupervised, and yes, it was an utter madhouse dive bar, uh, just it's crazy and it got crazier and crazier and finally because it stopped making money because it was so crazy nobody would advertise there which was you know that's what pays for any chat unless people are paying for the chat which i'll get to because that's where chat has gone both ways uh yeah yahoo chat died 10 years ago now 10 years ago wow uh yeah 2012 tail end uh they finally pulled the plug on it and these dysfunctional communities that i belong to scattered to the winds and yes some of them wound up on pal talk which has now i mean finally pal talk has an interface that sort of works but it's all about upgrading and it's a social network where you your social value is measured literally on how much money you're spending i mean you're supposed to gift your other chatters with these you know the stickers which are like giant emoticons that are special and when you, you only have them when somebody pays for them uh next to your name you can have something they call flare right now i was just sitting in a room and if you're lucky sometimes a total stranger comes into a room and they have competitions if you gift the most people that month you get all sorts of real high i mean you can pay for a super high ends high quality video high quality audio room and it'll probably only cost you for the room oh, seven eight hundred dollars a month and there are people who pay it i mean yes this pal talk thing is totally like and if you want to message someone who isn't on your friends list you have to send them a gift or it won't send your message so yes it's like i don't know how many dollars for a cheap gift and you can't just buy the gift you have to buy the credits ahead of time and like you have this bank of credits that you utilize to do all these things and upgrade your video and i haven't sat down i mean there's got to be an article on the internet somewhere but yeah facebook could now be more expensive than gaming and and just i'm the dating sites i suppose are the same way and i haven't i'm gonna have to do a little more experimentation here uh and uh, as i proceed yep the internet is changing a lot of the stuff that was free is now what do they call them micro transactions a few dollars here a few dollars there and a monthly fee and i mean i can see how quickly you could like just not be paying attention and every month you're paying like a few hundred dollars for a little bit of this and a little bit of that and some spicy this and and all what i don't know i don't know i mean in the real world you can waste it. i mean you go out 
one night you go to a movie what you can spend so i mean i'm not you know entertainment certainly has value and uh may even have more psychological value if it has a monetary value to most people because yep that's why they put the numbers next to everybody in this pal talk i mean that guy who's got the purple name and the little number next to him is a really hard that i think that's the number of gifts you've given out and all the rest of it um yeah and and you're the admin in the special room Ooh-gah. But, yeah, that's just, you know, like many other things that uh, one can leverage their way in. A, a lot of these video games now that you play online, uh, which is, I still can't 100% get used to that. I mean, I'm still in my brain. You get a game and you play it. Some This idea that you're minding your own business playing this game game that you purchased and a bunch of strangers can come into your game and help you and or they can do whatever god only knows what they can do uh, the other thing i don't understand is people who claim they've been assaulted in a video game there's a button on it you know you turn it off I, if somebody was assaulting me and there was nothing I could do about it in a video game, I'd like to think I would just shut it off and not sit there and let my avatar, watch my poor little avatar be abused <laughs> helplessly. Uh, I don't know. That, 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 the whole, that, that can happen. You know what? Please, just sell me a game and let me play the game that I bought and not have to even think about I but again uh, this I, I may be espousing ideas and opinions that just make me sound like a crazy old man and uh, I, I, I'm really going on and on I usually don't talk this much at the beginning of things but uh, I did and uh, we will hand the floor over uh, before I go any further myself uh, to Doc Sleaze because uh, I bet you Doc Sleaze over there in England has some interesting takes for us I first started um, using the internet must be about 99, 98, 99. So it's nigh on a quarter of a century of web surfing behind me. And I think what I can safely say is that the internet in 2022 is a lot less fun than it was back in the day when I first started. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. One could simply be nostalgia, of course, you know, we all think as we get old, oh, things ain't what they used to be. They're not as good as they used to be, etc., etc., etc. You know, I don't know, but my, my, my favourite crisps don't taste like they used to, you know. <laughs> Chocolate bars are smaller than they used to be, but they cost more. And, you know, all the things. Um, but, but. There are ways in which, truly, from my perspective, from someone who experienced, I mean, when I first started surfing the web, 
it wasn't quite the Wild West that I'm told it had been <clears throat> in the very early days, it, earlier in the 90s. But it's still pretty wild. You, you could get away with a lot on there, and there was lots of wild and wonderful stuff. Because the big difference back then was that most websites, most web creation was down to amateur individuals, basically pursuing particular interests. You know, um, nobody had any idea, basically, basically on, on, you know, there's no set ideas on what a website should look like, what sort of content it should have. Um, search engines were in their infancy. There's no idea of search engine optimization. Um, <clears throat> people just built sites. They wrote stuff. They put content. And it was mainly text-based those days, the web, mainly because um, we all had metered dial-up connections. And so it cost us money being online and, and streaming anything, you know, used a lot of data. <laughs> So it would it would cost you money, and they were slow as well. That those old dial-up connections, they were slow. It's painfully slow. Just watching a picture download could be painfully slow. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of the web was text-based, and um, it was great. You found all sorts of weird and wonderful things online. Wikipedia didn't exist, so you actually, you know. <laughs> You didn't find other people's websites regurgitated there badly uh, in the guise of giving information. You actually had to go and look on sites. And often you'd find sites from people on weird and wonderful subjects, people who really knew about this stuff. And um, there are all these places you could build sites. You know, nowadays you have to be realistic. You have to specifically pay um, a web host to host your site now professionally pay fees, um, all this. Back in the day, you go to places like GeoCities. Remember that? GeoCities. Tripod. Remember them? You could you could get free web space there to build a site. You had to put up with them putting ads on it. But hey, you know, anybody could set up a site really easily. And then things like Blogger came along. And, you know, so you set up a blog. For free. Um, that's one of the things that still does exist, Blogger, from that era. Um, there was the precursor of instant messaging in, in Internet Relay Chat. If you want to talk to people, or oh, there were message boards thrived in those days. Oh, some of the arguments used to break out and were wonderful. Social media such didn't exist. What you had with chat rooms and message boards, which were barely moderated, as I recall. As I say, some, some fantastic things got discussed on them. <laughs> and some fantastic arguments used to break out. And, uh, yeah, oh, it was wild, wonderful, colourful. Um, and the best thing was, say, it was all ordinary people creating this content. The celebrities hadn't moved in. Commerce hadn't moved in. Big business hadn't moved in. You would find people like commercial websites and people promoting their stuff on the web. But it was all very different from now. The big corporate entities were very wary of um, setting up dedicated websites, as I recall. 
they weren't quite sure what you could do with the web, what it was meant for. And it was great. For several years, that period, the web was a wonderful place to come to, to create, to disseminate what you created. You know, it was really brilliant for that. Um, but the problem is, when you look at the web now, internet in 2022, we have allowed it. And it is we, we as users have allowed it to become dominated by a very small number of huge corporate behemoths who basically want to shape it the way they want it. Google dominates search and boy does it abuse its near monopoly of well, English language searches. It really abuses its monopoly. You look at the search results now on Google for any that first page of search engine results. It's it's got ads halfway down the page. It's got ads to the side. It has that knowledge book block where they scrape usually from Wikipedia information to try and answer the question they think you're trying to answer. Um, most of the uh, first page, page and a half, sometimes two pages of search results are all, all, nearly all seem to be linking either to Google-owned properties, usually YouTube videos now, or the sites that they think they, either other big corporate behemoth sites like Amazon or eBay, or sites that they can monetize with Google Ads. Um, that's why I don't use Google as a search engine anymore. Um, I use, I mean, I, I, I actually use a fairly obscure one. Start page is my, um, she's called Xquick. But the point about it is, <clears throat> about start page is that I can put in my search query and I can guarantee with usually within the first three or four results, I can find what I'm looking for. You know? Um, well, I have to check that one out. I have been just so pleased with DuckDuckGo. I changed all my uh, browsers to default to that. And I did a couple tests. And No, anything that's on Google, it, it, it turns up somewhere plus you get whatever google is filtering hiding outright censoring uh i i don't know but uh i can make my own uh subjective decisions on a search engine so uh, and man there used to be a billion of them in fact i used to i've, I've talked about this way in the past uh, i used to have a program that was called copernicus i mean i loved searching the internet and finding new search engines and ways of searching information on all you know the pop culture crap that uh, we all love here on the onsug uh, it, it, just thinking back to what little information was available on like obscure bands i mean you had to go find back issues of some magazine from the 80s or these very few books that tended to be extraordinarily biased. Uh, but, you know, that's music. Uh, music is an opinionated mess. And uh, just as a side note, something I have definitely 
noticed, and probably of the same piece of music at different times can be our favorite song, something we can't stand and you have to turn that off, uh, something that just goes in one ear and out the other, or something that stops you dead in your tracks, and that can be the same recording of the same song over the course of uh, you know, life. It's 20 years, 40 years. Uh, we're all a bunch of older geezers listening to this. I don't think our teen appeal is up there. Oh, man, if we were reaching that crucial teen demographic here on the Internet. And, uh, oh, what's Eddie going to do if they, they... Well, no, TikTok is being illegal here. And Eddie... I, I forget Eddie isn't in America yeah, I, 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 I'm going to have to read more. I have been so... I mean, I have the internet, and supposedly I have access to all of this information, so certainly one can find out what's really going on in the world. <laughs> oh, I won't even go farther on that one. <laughs> laugh it up while we can. Uh, I caught the uh, tail end of the Wild West internet era. I started around 95, 96 a little. Uh, probably 97 was the first year I was actually spending active time on the internet and learning about it but yeah it was pretty crazy and uh, yeah it, you search anything on almost any search engine and the first bunch of results they, they just stick the tags in every porn site in the world so you would search butterflies and yep the first 10 results would be just <laughs> yeah, it is true. Porn was helped build the internet's basic structure, and then everybody else glommed the real stuff onto it. Or maybe it's the other way around. We're not gonna make that. Uh, and and real video, up that the which was I think the first streaming video format. I remember there was a site called TV Party. And it, it, it had the tiniest little thumbnail screen back when, oh, God, if, if, if it was on a, a screen today, it would be like an eighth of an inch square or so. This teeny tiny window of old black and white TV shows. And it, it was the coolest thing that there ever was somehow. Yeah, that's how that works. And as far it, it, there used to be like more sites. Now it, it, there's a smaller scope, which it, it takes a lot of the adventure out. I mean, just like you would find whole new worlds it, just sitting at home. That was like uh, uh, such a revelation. But uh, yeah, now everything is in the you know the, the WordPress or Blogspot. Or, you know, just somebody is doing their thing on a page on Facebook or other social media outlets. Or they're, 
the personal page, yeah, it's a whole different story. And somewhere buried, I'm sure, there's a whole bunch of mess of the types of pages that I did over the years. And now, uh, less and less, I mean, uh, am I even... uh, the, The posting of content online... I mean, the podcasts, of course, this goes on and that's fine, but just throwing my music on random SoundCloud pages and Bandcamp pages and Reverb Nation pages, uh, I don't know. I I think it's kind of just like almost throwing the stuff out into the wind. And since I'm not really doing it, for the sake of income and like fame or that I'm, I'm, I'm an old geezer on the internet having a good time that in and of itself is fine and uh, yeah maybe it'll make me do more podcasts anyhow uh, yeah let's uh, I've driveled quite a bit so let's hand it back over to our friend Doc it goes for relevancy and they're not, I don't have to wade through YouTube videos, other Google properties. I don't have to wade through Amazon results and so on. It's, you know, it's assuming I want to find out about something, not buy something. Um, and if I want to know how to do something, I don't want to watch somebody's bloody half-assed YouTube video on the subject. Just, just send me to a site, you know, a specialist site, which will tell me. I can read, you know, folks. I can rub from that generation that can read. Uh, you know, it's 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 pathetic. Um, but the trouble is, most people don't even realise there are other search engines other than Google. Because trust me, there are even Bing, the Microsoft-owned search engine, delivers generally more relevant results than Google. DuckDuckGo is another pretty good one. So I use StartPage. There's several other smaller ones that deliver you decent results. Now, the end result of all this, say, of Google doing this and people not using other search engines, they just assume that Google is the only search engine. Google is synonymous with search. The result is that lots of smaller sites, independent sites, non-commercial sites, are being absolutely starved of traffic. I know that from personal experience with my own sites. Um, When I get traffic now, it is from, usually non-Google searches. Unfortunately, not enough people use use search engines other than Google to give me huge, the huge amount, the significant, I would say the huge, but there were significant amounts of traffic for a small non-commercial site that I used to get. Um, but at least I know when I get visitors who've come via DuckDuckGo, Bing or whatever, that... Um, they're seeing something relevant to what they searched for. Interestingly, these days, the only stuff I put online which actually does well in Google searches, uh, some of the posts, um, particularly the film reviews on my um, blog, which is, of course, hosted on Blogger, a Google property. And also there, a lot of them are films so obscure that only a handful of us online who ever actually... Not only have have reviewed, written about things, but have actually seen them, and based our reviews on actually seeing it. So 
so yeah so I, I don't particularly like google for a lot of reasons personally because they starve my sites of, of, of traffic and uh, but also in a broader sense they are destroying the fabric the rich tapestry that was once the web is being destroyed and eroded by the likes of google and it's the same way facebook dominates some aspects of uh, social media, it's basically Facebook and Twitter dominate social media. You've got um, eBay dominates auctions, online auctions. Amazon dominates online shopping. Virtually everywhere in the world it does. There are some places you, you, you can't get Amazon, mainly in Africa. I happen to know that. Uh, <laughs> with... Um, members of my family shortly to move for work reasons um, to um, um, s uh, is it Senegal uh, <laughs> to, uh, to Dakar Senegal um, I know that Amazon doesn't have uh, in common with many other African countries apart from South Africa doesn't have a Senegalese and you cannot order something on Amazon and have it sent to an address in Senegal. Which is a bit awkward because um, when, when my when my great nieces lived in the States, it was easy for me to organise birthday and Christmas presents for them because I just did it via... See, Amazon does have its uses. I could do that. I could organise their, their presents to be delivered them via Amazon in the States. I could, I'd buy it on the Amazon US site and have it sent to the US address. I can't do that suddenly or I'm going to have to figure out some other way of doing this now it's just going to be horrendously complicated and probably horrendously expensive but we'll see we'll see there <laughs> you know there have uh, there've got to be ways to work this but they dominate and it's not a healthy situation it's not that there aren't other online booksellers for instance there aren't there aren't other online outlets for a lot of the stuff I buy but Amazon is so convenient it dominates when you search for something to buy something on Google anyway it's the Amazon results which come in and a lot of stuff we buy online okay I know there's this there's, there's uh, arguably it's less expensive and whatever there's cost savings but I think you know I could just walk down to my town centre and, and probably find the same thing but I'll just drive to one of the um, one of the sort of not quite out of town but sort of stores on the specialist stores you get on the um, trading estates around here and you know and sometimes I'd rather I, I don't mind paying the extra for it because of the, uh, I would compare to buying it online because of the convenience. I can just go and buy it and have it physically in my hand here and now. You know, uh, I did that recently. I needed a, I needed a, 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 a signal booster for my television, and um, yeah, I could have got it from Amazon, and um, but I found somewhere down in my town centre selling the identical item for only a little bit more than I'd have paid on Amazon and unlike Amazon I wouldn't have had to wait several days to get it I got it there and then it's plugged in and now my um 
my TV, digital TV signal is back to um, as it should be because I've been doing things with the um, transmitter we're on here. And it's, uh, well, not just the transmitter, but generally to digital signals in this country, they're getting worse and worse, I swear, on a lot of channels. There's a lot of channels breaking up when they shouldn't have. No, they don't. <laughs> it might just be the tall, more tall buildings up in the between me and the transmitter always affects it as well. I don't know. Um, I don't take a huge amount of notice a lot of the building work that goes on around here in Crapchester. But the, uh, getting back to the internet today, internet 2022. Um, what's interesting, I find now, is that if you remember back in the, the early days of the web, when corporations had a had an online presence, they did that walled garden thing where they would try and get you to stay within their properties online and convince you that AOL were the worst of them. If you had AOL as an internet service provider, they did their best to convince you that AOL were the web. You know, you didn't need to visit websites that weren't part of AOL. And, um, and they all did it. Um, Yahoo was similar, um, all sorts of other sites. They tried to do this. And uh, then that will focus, they realise this, but people realise, you know, there's a wider web out there, you know. MSN used to do it. Um, you know, people realise there's a wider web out there, you know. I can... <laughs> yeah, there's other places I can go online. And um, but in a way, we're coming back to that now. Because that's the point, isn't it? Google tries to direct you to other Google properties or affiliated sites. So it's trying to keep you within its empire. Facebook tries to keep you on Facebook as long as possible, as all those groups. Whereas in the days you'd go off to a, a message board or a chat room. No, it's all on Facebook now. You don't need to leave it. Mm, I do. Uh, how much of a walled garden Facebook is, I know because... My main website has its own Facebook page. Out of curiosity, I did it. Whereas they're published, the stories pop up there. And sometimes they appear to get huge numbers of views, but they never, never registers with any of my um, stat packages. It's never reflected in my server logs because people are viewing that page, the text of the page on Facebook. It doesn't seem to occur to them then to, to click on the link and go to, there's an actual website they could go to where there's this and more. And hey, give me the clicks. Um, and if I, if, you know, if my, if my site carried um, advertising, I'd be quite pissed off at people not coming to the site itself and potentially getting those clicks on the advertisers, which would help me <laughs> financially, potentially. So, yeah, it's the walled garden. They want you to always stay there. They don't want you to leave. We can cater for all your needs online. Except they can't, really. Um, so, yeah, we're edging back towards that. We're going backwards in some ways. But it is this dominance by a few big corporations, which is stifling the web is an innovative, creative space these days. 
I mean, all those lots of these these great sites are still out there, but boy, you really have to look. For, you won't find them via Google. You really have to search for them. You have to use other search engines. You have to follow links on the sites you do find, and go, you know, um, there's a, there's a journey of discovery. I say when it comes to information, is Wikipedia, of course, dominates that, despite the fact a lot of its articles are clearly scraped from other people's websites. I recognise bits of them, and they don't even acknowledge that. To make it worse, as I say, Google has, has for a long time scraped Wikipedia in turn to provide those knowledge box things, which they they try and get you to try and answer your questions, so you don't go go off of that, go anywhere other than Google. They're now proposing. I think obviously they've been challenged on this. They're going to pay Wikipedia for the for for this usage, but the problem with that is, of course, that they're paying Wikipedia. But all those articles they're scraping are written for free by volunteers. Shouldn't they be getting paid for their creative energies? And for putting Wikipedia in a position where they get paid? Again, you know, it's this corporate stranglehold on things. Uh, it's quite depressing, really. But yeah, no, I'd say that there's, there's good stuff still there on the web in 2022 but you have to look harder for it the web has become the internet has become far more functional in many ways than it used to be it's less now a creative space in its own right uh, increasingly it's used as a delivery system for other entertainment. I, mean, I, I like most people I have streaming TV in my case I have a Roku box which streams via my, my broadband connection. Um, that's the, that's most people's use, usage of the web now. And a lot of those channels that I watch, the really scuzzy, obscure ones, on the... <laughs> you can get on Roku, the ones which don't cost me any money. They are produced by the same guys who back in the day when I first started would have been would have had websites and would have been putting this stuff on websites but now they can stream stuff they can stream um, TV series and movies and sometimes they even have the rights to them uh, <laughs> but you know there's that to it where, where, where some opportunities appear to close with the web now others others are opened up I don't know how much it costs to actually um, to actually set up and run a Roku streaming channel. Um, but a lot of them are like one-man bands. And uh, I know they're run by people who... who it's like a like those websites, like my websites. And it's a glorified hobby, basically. Um, it can be done on a minimal budget. I mean, most of them carry ads because Roku will enable that for you to, to carry ads, <clears throat> which hopefully would cover at least cover your... Um, Cover your costs of keeping it online. And a lot of them, I, I talked about the rights to it. A lot of it is public domain stuff they run. Um, and self-made programs, you know. Um, so, yeah, there's still opportunities there for create, creativity. And, of course, the, the, the Internet 2022, I mean, things like podcasts, they, they still go strong. 
Um, it's a delivery system for them. The whole streaming of me of audio is something the web facilitates and provides creative opportunities. Hey, we at the unsung know. Um, so yeah, all doom and gloom. Um, but I do feel that, um, yeah, compared to the good old days when I first started messing about creating websites and doing stuff online, it just now it just doesn't seem as as much fun. It's it's not just that it's it's regulated as such, because actually, a lot of the web is still very unregulated. Um, it's that all these bloody corporate interests have moved in, and bloody celebrities, you know, who who aren't satisfied with being famous in the real world, they want us all to worship them online. Uh, you know, and there's far too much of the web these days seems to be devoted to the bloody um, cult of celebrity um, for my liking. But there you go. That's just me. I'm just a miserable, grumpy old git. <laughs> but those are my thoughts on the internet in 2022. And on that, I will say back to you, PQ. Yeah, the adventure is gone. I just wonder how you would dredge i mean the wayback machine is kind of interesting on archive.org you can find a lot of stuff that used to be but uh they weren't archiving the images at the time because again you know the space was very expensive back then so yeah you the, the sites are there they're just kind of gutted when you can find them and uh, some of the links don't work uh but it's something. I it's just nobody thought it would ever go away. I, GeoCities was pro for the rest of your life. No, this isn't going. We promise. But I guess their way around it was uh, they sent out notices to emails that people hadn't been using in years, saying you know you have six months, you have three months, and so forth. And then that content. I mean, why? I, I uh, Podomatic, the first place that I did podcasts on, uh, a bunch of my content. Uh, luckily, I think I have everything somewhere on a hard drive, and most of it is also on archive.org, uh, the old original conspiracy of the insignificant podcasts, and another one that I did that was called Popped culture you know, like popped corn or you know, popped rice or what have you uh, i thought it was clever and so did a bunch of other people at the time but now i don't think there is an active podcast called popped culture but I'm no longer vying for those big clicks in this kind of work. I'm too scattered. Uh, there is no market for scattered content. And probably it's a good thing for most people. But uh, I get a kick out of that. And I, uh, Doc, yeah, that was it. for me and Doc, that was the adventure of the Internet. But it was a different time. And uh, I freely admit, I have the weirdest uh, interests, attention span, and uh, yeah, I like it. I, 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 I am usually able to find amusement on the internet, which gratifies me incredibly. 
And uh, rolling, moving, going, uh, actually just waving my hands back and forth uh, and hoping that the microphone still catches me even though I'm doing that. Uh, We continue now. Uh, Frank Edward Nora is here, uh, and I'm certain this is going to be good. (coughs) Wow, the air is so still here. Smoking a cigar, a, a nub habano. I got a place called Puff World, and uh, it's so still. I I, puff, I I blew out the smoke, and it just sort of went all around my head. There's no breeze at all. It looks like there's a breeze, though. That was very weird. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a kind of a strange day. It's a Sunday before the Fourth of July. I was actually just recording the first segment of the next Overnightscape episode. I think episode nineteen twenty six. But yeah, you know, I went to visit my father. He's at a rehab place, and he should be coming home, I think, in a few weeks. He had some pain in his leg, and, uh, you know, hopefully he'll get some physical therapy, and then he'll come home here to his house. And uh, so I'm house-sitting, cat-sitting. But uh, yeah, I uh, I took a little, you know, when I, when I left the rehab place, it was in Rar- Raritan. I don't know. When I say the name, it's Raritan. It's R-A-R-I-T-A-N, Raritan. But I always say Raritan. You say it like in Raritan, Raritan. Like that's how you pronounce it, Raritan. But why not just say Raritan, Raritan? You know, it was actually um, the evil. You know, so a lot of the evil farm was filmed in Raritan and Somerville, and uh, so when I was leaving the place, I noticed that I was driving right past the uh, the shopping centers at the Somerville Circle. This is in New Jersey, Somerville, New Jersey. Listen, not everyone knows I'm in New Jersey. Um, and I saw the Burger King there. And that was a Burger King from the uh, from the Evil Farm that I filmed in January 1987, long before there was any internet, right? And that was 35 years ago. The internet was, uh, I think there was an ARPANET back then, but perhaps not an internet. But anyway, um, yeah, I stopped by the the Burger King and I got a, uh, and, and I just reminiscing about this, the place. Totally remodeled inside, but still the same basic layout. It was wild. I got a drink from that, like, computerized drink machine. I got a uh, Cherry Mellow Yellow Zero. <laughs> Figured that'd be fun. It's not bad for what it is, you know. Um, anyway, uh, and I sat in one of the booths to reminisce. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out The Evil Farm, my movie. that I, I released on video in both the regular and complete form. Yeah, then I you know went to a couple stores and uh, went up going to Puff World to get the cigar here. Stopped by the mall, shopping mall there, the Bridgewater Commons. That was not my childhood mall because it, it opened in 1989, right? I mean, I did go to the mall a lot, but I was already like, what, 20-something, when the tw- early 20s when that mall opened. I did go there opening day. Anyway, uh, from the mall, I figured I would drive past... The Somerset County Library, and I was in the parking lot of the mall. This was just a, an hour or two ago. I looked it up, and I noticed that it said it's open till five o'clock. And, and, and so I'm like, I, I'm going to go to the, the Somerset County Library. I'm like, that was like, that was like the internet before the internet, like a good, great county library in New Jersey. And I um, bet I drove by, and it was closed because I think it, the holiday weekend, you know, Fourth of July, and everything. Anyway, I was kind of bummed because I really wanted to go there to reminisce about, you know, it. and as I said, it was, I used to go there a lot. You know, like once I got a car and was driving, I would go down there by myself and just have library time. 
And, um, you know, I know libraries still exist. Obviously, I just drove past it. But um, with the Internet, I, I don't really feel like there's really any need to go to a library. It feels, it feels like not necessary. But I miss it, though, because the, your relationship with information and media and being stimulated by information and media um, at a library is, is, is very, has a very different feel and tone than the Internet. But it would seem to me, and I, I went to my town library in Nutley like maybe once or twice, but it feels to me like artificial at this point, you know, because you're going there to get books, uh, look at magazines and, and everything. I, you know, like even, even movies and uh, music, everything you can get there. Everything you get on the internet now. But it's kind of like, you know, I, I often tell the story how about, how about my brother, is, who likes to write, used to use a typewriter, and then, of course, the age of the typewriter ended, and you now you use a computer. But he missed the typewriter. He's, you know, and the idea that um, the typewriter would not easily, every, every keystroke is not easily fixed. Like, you'd have to use, like, whiteout or something, you know, or, or liquid paper. Whichever sort of like Coke or Pepsi. Do you like white out or liquid paper? In fact, I was looking at that. Um, I have this uh, TV guide from 1985 I got recently, and there's an ad for liquid paper, including like the gold, goldenrod, right? Goldenrod liquid paper. Because, you know, there were these like persistent colors at the copy shops, like goldenrod and the blue, right? right? So, the, so like if you were like typing on goldenrod paper, you could get... I think they just called it golden, but goldenrod. <laughs> why don't you just, why, yeah, why didn't they call the table golden? They called it goldenrod. The hell's a rod? Goldenrod. Sounds like something from re, re, like religion. Thy Lord, thy hold a, a, a goldenrod. <laughs> right? I think it's just a flower though, goldenrod, right? Anyway, I could find no other information. I saw there's a museum called the Women's Museum in Dallas, Texas, because I guess that. I believe it was Mike Nesmith's mother, Mike Nesmith from the Monkees, who sadly passed away recently, who uh, uh, his mother, I think, invented liquid paper. That may be why it's the Women's Museum, I think. Anyway, <coughs> um, they had the blue from the same series there in the museum, but not the goldenrod. Oh, I would love some goldenrod liquid paper. I checked on <coughs> eBay and everything. Nothing. <coughs> I'm sure eventually some will come up for sale. I always loved goldenrod paper that you could get photocopies on. Well, it's almost sort of similar that the, the, the like toilet paper used to come in like yellow and blue, pink. You know, all these colors of toilet paper to, to coordinate with your bathroom, but they don't really have that anymore. Anyway, so the library. So the county library, let me tell you, this was a fantastic library, and I'm sure still is. Um, they had the books, of course, uh, arranged by the Dewey Decimal, Dewey Decimal System. Uh, which I think is sort of a lost concept these days, the Dewey Decimal. I think I actually was talking to some of my younger coworkers about the Dewey Decimal System, and they're, they're like, yeah, I might have heard of it, but, you know, like, like let's say you have, like, tens of thousands of books. How do you sort them out? By author's last name? Well, that might work in, fi in the fiction department, but when it comes to nonfiction, you're going to have, you're going to have, everything's going to be this all over the place, you know, like, the topics of the books. You know, about orchids or radio or, 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 or uh, you know, like astronomy. Like, by last name, the, the, first, like the last name of the author is kind of random compared to the, su the subject matter. So they came up with a system where there were numbers that, a numbering system, 
like uh, 404.5 or something, that would be a certain topic. So the books were arranged by topic, and they still use that system. Even though, apparently, <clears throat> Dewey himself uh, is, is certainly ripe, ripe for cancellation. Uh, let me look this up. The Internet did not adopt the Dewey Decimal System, by the way. I don't think because of any particular issue with Dewey. He's not the same Dewey that defeated Truman, by the way, but, um, you know, it's a different Dewey. I, I don't know if Dewey is a very popular last name anymore. Like, Dewars was like a, sco a scotch, but that's Dewars, not Dewey. Dewey Decimal, let's see, system. You could probably apply it to the uh, <clears throat> the Internet, though. No? Dewey Decimal System, let's see. <sighs> let's see. I thought they... I, I, I just saw it. Uh, let me see. Yeah, what does it say here? Like, 001 through 099 are generalities. 100 through 199, philosophy. 200 through 299, religion. 300 through 399, social science. The 400s is languages. 500s is natural science. 600s, applied science. 700s, arts and recreation, 800s, that's probably, that's probably the section I was in most, the 700s. Eight, 800s is literature, 900s, history and geography, and then nine, some, 90, up to 920, 92 to 920, what? Biography and collective biography or something like that. Yeah, <clears throat> sorry, let me, let me fix this here. I'm having trouble with the internet today in 2022. <laughs> so, you know, in 2022, I'm sitting here, with my little, my, with my Pixel 5, a smartphone, essentially a pocket supercomputer, that when I was sitting here in the 80s, if, if I had seen this and learned about this, I would have been blown away by the, poten the potential of having a pocket device like this, wireless, that has access to all-world knowledge. I would have imagined the potential of such a thing was immense, unbelievable, but in practice... It is cool to have, but it falls far short of what my vision of it would have been at the time. Melville Dewey, okay? It was first published in the United States by Melville Dewey in 1876. So anyway, um, this guy Melville Dewey, okay, he lived till 1931, was an influential American librarian and an educator, inventor of the Dewey Decimal System of Library Classification a founder of the Lake Placid Club and chief librarian at Columbia University. He was also a founding member of the American Library Association. Geez, that is so, so far it sounds like he's a great guy. Sounds like he's a great guy, Mr. Dewey. But resigned in 1905 due to allegations of sexual harassment, racism, and anti-Semitism. Listen, okay, if you're canceled in 1905... You, it's got to be pretty bad, okay? I, I mean, come on. <laughs> Controversies. All right, anyway. It, it, yeah, it's, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. Really bad. I mean, even in 1905, people were, like, shocked by this guy. A, a terrible person, obviously. Terrible, a terrible man. Let me see if they... Uh, let me see if anyone wants to change the name. I, I mean, I guess it's really not that popular anymore. Uh, let me see. Change the name of the Dewey Decimal System. 
I know we've gone on a tangent here, but <clears throat> let's see. American, oh, they did actually. Hmm. American Library Association strips name of Dewey Decimal System creator from. Oh, it's annual award. Okay, so they had the Dewey Award or something. Okay. But they still called Dewey Decimal System. Here's an article from 2021. Dewey Decimal System. We need to talk about Melville Dewey. Listen, the guy's been dead for almost 100 years. I understand he was a terrible person, but he did, he made a pretty good system. I, I, was, I you know. Keep the de keep the decimal system. Lose the Dewey. They want to get his name off of there. Yet you don't understand if you're if you're younger. You don't understand in school how often you had to hear the, about the Dewey decimal system. <laughs> Though one deeply flawed man created the Dewey decimal system, scores of librarians across the decades are dedicated to revising and decolonizing. The Dewey Decimal System while maintaining findability. I, I, I like how this article just just throws in that word decolonizing. Yeah, was this new speak now? Great. Anyway, let's not worry about that. Um, oh yeah, I wanted to look up why don't they use the Dewey Decimal System on the internet? You know, use of Dewey Decimal System on the internet. <laughs> Oh man, Dewey's in big trouble. Nineteen oh five. I can only imagine what this uh, man must have done to uh, uh, break with traditional the molesting of the time. Oh my dear, canceled in nineteen oh. That's hardcore. I mean, uh, that's that's breaking bad or something there. Um, Dewey decimal system. Oh man, libraries! Good Lord, good digression, Frank. Because before the internet, indeed, uh, the libraries. I would travel like you, miles and miles, or go into Manhattan to read old newspapers on uh, microfilm at the New York Public Library. I, I'm sure they still have that giant reference room. Uh, although I would. Maybe not. Uh, I would think that by now they are scanning everything on microfilm or rescanning the material because microfilm was just, I mean, when there was nothing, microfilm was the coolest thing ever. But um, putting a microfilm version of something next to a scanned version of something uh, the scanned version is uh, far better better -er. uh, it's, it's uh, god you, you want to talk about grainy would you like uh, all of uh, history in fax form uh, i don't know technology just now i understand what my great-grandfather would say about all the things that had changed since he was a young man, a little boy. Uh, and yeah, for him, I mean, he went from just working on the farm to electricity and TVs and airplanes and all of that crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, my lifetime is uh, at least a lot of alleged uh, progress.
Um, I didn't actually see it occur myself. I have only seen the documentation. So, yeah, it, nowadays you got to question everything, right? I mean, did it happen or did they just tell us and show us uh, that, you know, Stanley Kubrick made a little movie of it? Uh, were there really Beatles? I don't know. Do you know anybody that you really trust that saw the Beatles in the 60s? Although the artist Shaman Q says, and he probably was, he lived in the area, it, he was part of the scene, he probably was at that last Candlestick Park show, but I, no, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, we will never know for sure because uh, yeah we ain't got those time machines am i actually here in the quake reversal satellite or am i some sort of bot that somebody made and the real pq river is in costa rica uh doing cocaine and uh chocolate or something who knows uh yeah as the pq river drivels on and uh, there was, uh, I wanted to mention, in libraries, there used to be with the periodical guide, if you wanted to search magazines, they used to publish this, and I used to find it wholly, income. it only had the major magazines in it, which... I guess at a certain point, especially in like the 60s and 70s and probably even into the 80s, there were so many small magazines. Somebody indexing them all for this would have lost their mind and there probably wasn't even the facility. Now with the internet and computers, everything has been made into a fairly complete list now. There, there was no such thing. I mean... You want to talk about an advance, uh, actual proper lists of everything. I mean, old time radio, the, the amount of reference for old time radio that was at my access in, say, 1980 or 1985. What were they? A few books that uh, half of the information was now we know that it was an approximation and not very accurate i mean thank goodness we have people like martin grams who uh, really does serious research and writes books and he keeps it all going i admire what that man does for uh, old time radio and nostalgia because all that the other problem with it is all this stuff I'm probably at the head of the last generation that has any real interest in any of that nonsense, which is another factor that we can go into at some point. But uh, let's hand it back over to Frank because I'm digressing uh, seriously. I'm using the internet right now. I've been using it all along here in 2022. Use the Dewey Decimal System. See, I, I clicked on that because it, so I didn't have to type it on the internet. There we go. It's really not needed on the internet per se because you can just search for stuff. Yeah. From the Dewey Decimal System to search engines. Okay. Melville. <laughs> M E L V I L Melville. Some name. I don't think anyone's named Melville anymore. I mean, I, 
I know Melville with an LLE at the end was the, wasn't he the guy that Herman Melville wrote Moby Dick and uh, Bartleby the Scrivener did he write that one yeah that's a good one all right Bartleby let me give you the next job I would prefer not to this was the the Great Resignation back in the 19th century see everything old ev- everything that we think is new is it was like old this guy got canceled in 1905 another Melville wrote about a guy that that didn't want to work anymore you know what I mean. <laughs> It's great stuff. But yeah, so anyway, I would go to the library and I would love just browsing through the stacks of books, right? I think they call them stacks, right? Because in in my college at Drew University, there was an infamous uh, person. I'm not sure who he wound up being, a, a student or professor or just some random person off the street called the Stack Whacker. He was a guy that was uh, pleasuring himself. Um, in the li- in various parts of the library, and I think they, he eventually got caught. The stack whacker, because you know, even though it was really ra- a rather ugly incident, someone had to come up with a funny name for it. The stack. You hear about the stack whacker? You know, you're in college. You, hey guys, well, hey, good morning. What's going on? Hear about the stack whacker? No, he's this dude that just whacks off in this in the library. Okay, great. And, you know, libraries became the Internet, and the Internet, yes, obviously, is is used for that, among many other things. Anyway, I would go to this library and just look things up. Um, I remember I've always been fascinated by, like, football helmets and sports logos. I'm not into sports, but I love the logos, and I I had to use – I was interested in the World League of American Football, and at the time there was no Internet. This would have been probably early 90s. There was probably – you know, there probably was, like – Genie and CompuServe, those kind of services. But they didn't really have search engines where you could just find anything. Even AOL didn't have everything like the current internet does. There was no Wikipedia back then. So they had uh, microfilm and microfiche, you know. And uh, again, this is uh, has become unnecessary in the digital age, but microfilm was just film strips of, uh, you know, you could put like, uh, like 20, uh, like, what was it, like 10 by 10? You could put like 100, uh, 100 pages per, like, you know, a, a couple square inches. And you had this reader that was like a microscope, and it projected it on a screen. You could see all the newspapers and microfilm. No, I think I'm talking about microfiche. Microfilm usually was just one page per per, per section, yeah. And then they, they actually had photocopiers that you could make copies of the microfilm. But microfiche was less in a film form. It was just like a, a little, it was almost like an index card, but it was clear. And it had, it had like a whole magazine on there, miniaturized pages, right? And um, you, could, you could sort of, you could move it up, down, left, and right to read the whole magazine on the microfiche. Then you can make copies from it. So I remember, I, and you know, so there's this huge amounts, this library, God only knows how much this costs because they would have so many magazines and newspapers that they had available, like mass archives in the library. It must have been a service they subscribed to, you know, that, that would deliver all the latest stuff on microfilm and microfiche. And um, I remember, well, how are you going to find anything? The entire wall of the library. And this sort of shows you how lucky we are in 2022 with the Internet. The entire wall was, uh, there's this publication called The Reader's Guide to Periodic Literature. 
And it was almost like a giant index of topics printed in these encyclopedic volumes. And I found the World League of American Football, and uh, I found in a certain newspaper they had a picture of all the helmets. So I went up to the counter. I think you had to fill out with, you know, with a, usually they little, those little crappy miniature pencils like they have at miniature golf courses. You had to fill out a request form and give it to a librarian. They would bring you the fiche. You couldn't take it home. The entire reference uh, section, you could not take it home. You had to just leave it there, right? Um, and uh, they'd give you the fiche. F-I-C-H-E, by the way, fish. It almost sounds like the band Fish, which I'm wearing a T-shirt of Fish right now, my favorite band Fish, P-H-I-S-H. This is Fish, F-I-C-H-E. Seems like that would be more of a, like a French word, Fish. And you can, so you find the spot you want to copy, and then they had this, Really nasty thermo paper. It, it had a texture like you wouldn't believe. It's like a, it's paper, but it has, has this kind of, I can't even describe it. It's almost like a rough, like oily surface. Very unpleasant to touch. Photo paper. It, it was like, pa- it was paper. It wasn't a filmer and it was actually made of paper, but it had this uh, photo sensitive surface to it. So it must have been paper with something slathered on it, you know? So I remember making a copy of that page. I think I still have it somewhere. Um, you know, I would go to the. I would also go to the library to. Um, you know, they they had vinyl albums. I remember that's where I got my Mahavishnu albums. The first one I got Visions of the Emerald Beyond, and then I got Birds of Fire. You can check those out, bring them home, dump them onto a cassette, and now you have them forever, right? So I found a lot of music that way. They also uh, were uh, lending out uh, videotapes, even in the 80s. We have, of course, very famously on this show, at least, I, I talk about it a lot. We, we got a Betamax instead of a VHS, and they had a tiny, tiny collection of Betamax tapes. And we, got, we did get, at one point, a, a 16-millimeter sound projector. You could actually check out of the library films. I remember checking out, um, I think it was Closed Mondays, the, the first like the big first big Will Vinton uh, claymation movie. I think he won an Academy Award for animated shorts on that. And uh, I remember watching that at home. We only did that a few times. That was wild, though, uh, checking out actual film movies out of the library. And they also had book sales, and they had used books, you know, books from their library that they... Uh, got rid of, you know, discarded, and then you could just buy them, you know. So I remember buying a bunch of books there, too. So it was a great place to go. But all of those processes were so different than what we have now. So it felt different. It, it was a different kind of vibe than uh, the uh, the Internet now. Let me have some of this. Uh, I got another bottle of this. Alive Ancient Mushroom Root Beer. Mmm. It's 2022. Drink mushroom root beer, damn it. Yeah. Anyway, GTs, by the way, this is a brand. Um, so the Internet in 2022 is very robust. It's really advanced a lot. Like I remember I didn't really do a lot of online stuff. I didn't really have a modem until like the later 90s. I really wasn't into online stuff. 
my first modem I think I got was probably a 14.4 board, you know. And there was 28, and 56 was like amazing. Then DSL was like 128. I think this is kbits per second. Then the cable modems were a lot faster. And of course, everyone has better internet now. Well, not everyone, but I have Fios in my home, so it's very fast. Anyway, that's the thing. I know not everyone has a great internet connection, but most people are able to get a decent internet connection either through a cable modem or through a fiber system. I even got, I got the slowest one I could get to 2020, 20 m up, 20 million up, 20 million down. I don't, I've really never run up against a, I mean, I, I I think you have to have like a bunch of people watching video streams on a bunch of different devices to need anything more than that. Um, so my first modem, I had a Mac, I think I had a Macintosh Centris, like a kind of a low-end Macintosh in the early early 90s, early to mid-90s. Hooked up, the, hooked up the modem, which was no small feat back then, probably through a DIN 8 port or, yeah, it was probably a DIN 8 port, I think. I don't think they had a, there was no Ethernet ports back then. It was, uh, I, I think you had to use a DIN 8, which was a, a common connector back then. Hopefully not SCSI, but SCSI was uh, the big thing for Mac, small computer serial interface. Kind of what USB is today, but it had latches on it. It was huge. You had to latch it in. Listen, you and people don't know how good they have it these days. Anyway, um, and I got America Online. So this probably would have been 94 or 95-ish. And uh, I think it was 94. And I remember going on America Online, they charged you by the hour. So you could commonly get, you know, you would go on the chat rooms, you'd search around. Again, America Online was a little closed system, but they had a lot of content in there. And I actually published a, an e-zine on America Online the first, uh, you know, like the first year or so, a couple years of uh, Osoa Week, my weekly e-zine, before I was doing the audio stuff. Because you really couldn't do audio online back then. It was just too, took up much too much data to do audio at the early days. That's one thing that really advanced. And by around 2000, it was getting there. And by around 2003, 2004, it was much more doable. I started this show in 2003. But I remember getting bills for like $80, $90. And that, of course, is double that or whatever for you know today's. Well, let me, again, I always go on the inflation website. I hope they're updating that site because there's been a lot more inflation just recently. See, eighty dollars, eighty dollars in, yeah, I'm. It's almost exactly doubled. Eighty dollars in 1994 is worth about 157 dollars now. It's it's almost been a things have almost doubled in price because of inflation since 1994. Wow, it's a lot of inflation. I know those of you in the future really may not know what I'm talking about, but we use money. In this time period, I know you may have learned about that in, in, your, in your education pills you take in the future. Do they ever have that? You take a pill to learn to learn things like they used to show in old science fiction movies. Um, so, you know, the money supply here in the United States, they're supposed to only increase the supply in, 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 con- in concordance with the increase in goods and services. When, the, when they create more dollars than there's been an increase in goods and services... That means there's more money, but the same amount of goods and services, so it raises the price of everything, right? Like, just imagine if you gave everyone, like, three pennies, and there's, like, five people, so there's, like, uh, 15 pennies in existence, and you want to buy a piece of gum, 
like, all right, well, one penny, that's one-third of my money. Okay, great, yeah. But then if you gave everyone 100 pennies, right, if so, if you charge someone one, two, three, four, five cents, they'd be okay, whatever. It's not. I still have a hundred. I still have ninety-five pennies. You know. Anyway, um, more digressions from the internet, twenty twenty-two. So I remember after I had AOL for about a, maybe it was like ninety-three. I got on it, and after about a year or so, the AOL America Online introduced a connection to the World Wide Web, right? And I got on that when they made it available. I remember it was one morning, the day they made it available, and I had to go to some family function with my then-girlfriend, Carrie. And um, I, in the morning, I got on the Internet very briefly. I think it was 94. And um, that's when all the web pages were, like, gray with those weird bevels and flashing text and stuff. It was wild back then. And it was so unstable. You can go on the Internet for about two or three minutes before it crashed your entire computer. You had to reboot your whole computer, at least in my situation. <laughs> Mac, of course, Macintosh. Um, never, never on, t- you know, it, it, it was always a, a pain to do anything cool on the Internet, on, on, the, on the Macintosh, games, Internet. It was always way behind. I mean, now it probably doesn't really matter. Well, with games, you don't want a Mac. I mean, Mac gaming is, is weak. But I remember just really being incredibly enthused about the internet back then it was so primitive and so small you would get books like at the at the at b dalton bookseller or walden books about a guide to what's on the internet you know because there were so few websites back then and i actually made my first website i believe it was in 95 it was um my obliviana.com it was it was this all my e-zines and all my writing was on a website and uh it was obliviana.com slash tilde O-S-O-A, I think that's what it was, or, yeah, Oblivion of Super Cult Amusement, because it was on someone else's server. Some guy in Princeton was running servers, and I had to actually mail him floppy disks to put stuff on there. And he's like, you know, well, you know, Frank, I mean, I, I can do this for you, but did you ever hear, can you just do it via FTP? And I'm like, what's FTP? <laughs> Once I found out that it was the file transfer protocol, I started uploading things via FTP and have been ever since. I use FileZilla, of course. Well, I think most people, a lot of people use FileZilla. Anyway, it's an open source FTP program. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I was like, I, I remember I bought a book about HTML programming, and it was, like, really simple to make web pages. It wasn't programming. It was just a markup language. In fact, HTML stands for Hypertext Markup Language. In fact, there's a lot of acronyms when it comes to the Internet, as you know. URL, HTTP, Hypertext Transfer Protocol, HTML, Hypertext uh, what I, whatever I just said, markup language. And you could use frames to organize things and lay things out, you know. I was still using frames at work, you know, for emails, even into the 2000s, you know, the 2010s or something. It's not as relevant, obviously not very relevant. You could still do it, though. I, you can still make a web page with frames, and it'll still be read by the browsers. Uh, anyway... And the Internet has just uh, really grown um, in terms of its capacities and its content. Uh, what, but what I find so wild is that so much stuff that's online, every day of the Internet is like a different set of content available as websites come and go. 
And yeah, the Internet Archive has the Wayback Machine, which has really good archives, and a lot of archives of my pages are on there as well. But, <clears throat> like, for example, I was just uh, thinking about that movie, A Texas Tale of Treason, um, about these guys in Texas. I think it was made in, like, 2007 or 2008 or something. These guys in Texas that were trying to make the sequel to Repo Man and... Uh, because Alex Cox, re recently the, uh, in, in the star, not the star, but he was in the movie Mad God by Phil Tippett, which was great, the stop-motion animation movie. He said that anyone that wanted to could... He posted the script for the sequel to Repo Man called Waldo's Hawaiian Holiday. And uh, he said anyone that wants to can make this movie. So these guys took him up on it. And I think one of PQ, PQ right? One of your friends was in it. Was it, um, was it uh, Stephen Jules Rubin, perhaps? Or one of your other friends, Fruitcake Toothpaste. Which one was in that movie, what, what was going to be in the movie? Good memory. Uh, yeah, there's Stephen Jules Rubin, my friend Greg Turner, who is also known for having been in the original Angry Samoans, which was a punk rock band, one of the first L.A., California punk bands way back in the day. And a mathematics professor. Yeah, Um us New Mexicans were something. And I knew a few other people like Lenny Hoffman who were associated. That they came in and just swept through uh, a lot of performers in the Santa Fe region. I think just kind of after uh, I went back east or something. I'm not sure when this was going on or was I already in truth or consequences, I'm going to have to check the chronology. But uh, specifically to answer that, yes, Stephen Rubin was involved. So apparently they made the movie, but, you know, it was pretty rough because they were doing it on a shoestring budget. And then Alex Cox, like, blocked them legally from doing anything with it. He just screwed them over. The reason I mention this is this movie was on Google Video, a site that uh, existed until Google bought YouTube, and then they, they kind of deleted Google Video, and then they just moved forward with YouTube. But a lot of the videos that had been on uh, YouTube did not transfer forward. Uh, that had been on Google Video did not transfer forward. So I feel like I just did research recently. This movie is just 100% completely unavailable in any form. It was never released on physical media it was just on the internet. It was deleted off the internet, and it's gone. This is one of the big things about the internet, right? The lack of physical media. Anything that's released on physical media, someone's going to have a copy somewhere, right? Unless, you know, like, like with uh, movies, you know, like um, motion pictures. There's so many that are lost because the actual film they used for, for movies was very flammable. And they had all these archive fires in movies like, you know, London After Midnight, for example, um, was lost. And that, that was a very significant lost movie, but there's a lot of lost movies because they only had like one copy and they just it burnt up. Though there is a good video online of London After Midnight starring Lon Chaney, a very classic vampire character with his top hat and sharp teeth. Um, you can actually watch the movie because they have still frames and, and they still have the... Uh, the text of the title card, because this, this was a silent film. So I've watched it in, without the motion part, just with still frames, and it was actually almost like watching it. But anyway, beyond that special circumstances of um, physical media being, there being too few copies, and those copies getting destroyed in some way, 
Um, in general, physical media, if, if they release a, on VHS, DVD, whatever, listen, someone's going to have it somewhere. You know what I mean? But if you just release something on the Internet and then it's deleted off the Internet, it's no longer available unless someone had a backup copy. And this is something that was so obscure. I, I, don't, I mean, I'm, I think I'm going to dig deeper into this issue, maybe try to contact the people because I watched it, the movie. It was a good movie, but it's, and it's part of Repo Man history. Repo Man is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, it goes to show the Internet, while incredible at delivering content to you and information and media, has this flaw, which is that there's, no, there's not necessarily any physical media. That is a big drawback of the Internet, even in 2022. So, right, I was in, pod, in the podcasting world from the beginning. You know, podcasting started in uh, around, I mean, I got into it around October. I think October, it was summer of 2004 when it started, and I picked up on it in October a few months later. So many people had podcasts back then, 2004, 2005, 2006. And mass amounts of those podcasts are completely lost to history. I don't think there's been any other kind of thing. Like you think about um, garage rock. These kids, teenagers would cut a record, make like uh, 50 or 100 copies. Someone's going to have a copy. You know what I mean? And and they do. There's these things. There's all these uh, reissue labels that seek out the music of the time and even if there's just one copy they can find it and transfer it to digital and then release it right Um, physical media as such a good way of preserving things because once you make a physical copy of something it just sits there in physical reality and you stick it in a drawer you stick it in a closet you stick it in a storage unit and X number of decades later usually it'll still work you know, like a, a record, a, you know, a, 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 something that be played on a record player. It's a physical object with grooves in it, you know, and you're going to still be able to play it, you know, and uh, videotapes, magnetic media, audio tapes, that stuff. I have stuff that's, you know, from the 80s and even stuff from the I even have that tape from the 60s and it still works. So that, I think, is one of the big drawbacks of the Internet is that... Um, not necessarily professional stuff, you know, because and, and corporations have have the ability to make backups and this and that. But uh, small media, small time media, um, what was that word I created? Uh, I forget the name of it. It was like a, a word, I cre- an alternate name of podcasting. Uh, small audio or something. I'm trying to let me find that because that, that's relevant to this discussion. Yeah, here's the word small channel. I like that. What, it's one word, small channel. Overnight Escape 1721 small channel from, uh, wow, it was from uh, July 16th, 2020, so a little less than two years ago, as it is now July 3rd, 2022. Small channel, <laughs> like small channel could be like small channel audio and small channel video would have been like like podcasting and internet videos, but small channel never became a word. I like that word though, small channel, in some alternate reality perhaps, but anyway, um yeah, so that's been a big issue. But in a larger sense, I feel that, um, when, you know, so when I got on the Internet, I was already an adult. And it had a number of you know years of adult time before that. 
And, uh, you know, I find, you know, in 2022, what am I using the Internet for? For all sorts of things, games, videos, music, all the stuff I used to go to the library for, uh, research, researching topics. There's endless research. I mean, when you research any obscure topic using a Goog- the Google search engine or are there even any other search engines out there? You can find you, by, by, you know, refining your search with certain terms. You can sort of zero in on the most obscure topics. Like um, in uh, an old games magazine, there was something about the Rue Review. It was in a small neighborhood in Austin, Texas. And uh, the, these people had a, an activity called Ruing, R-O-U-I-N-G, where they would take those little balsa wood planes with the rubber band propellers and put razor blades on the front of them and then launch them. And hopefully they're trying to destroy each other. And I found someone posted, they made a little website about it. I don't know when, but you could hear all about their ruing. They had like, they, they declared their neighborhood to be its own country called like Rusylvania or something. Rather whimsical. But anyway, like, so any topic like that you can find. Um, so the Internet Archive has, I like going on the magazines on there. Um, endless. But the thing is, um, this means that, you know, what characterized past media explorations was a, a, a concept of serendipity, right? I would go to a bookstore, a record store, right? A video store. And you'd be browsing around and you might find something you weren't looking for because it's there physically, right? Um, uh, so you could say this serendipity factor has become a bit less. Even though I know, you know, like on your Facebook feed, random stuff comes up that's kind of serendipitous, but still, it's not as purely serendipitous as what was in physical reality when media was all sort of in physical form and each each unit had to be like have a physical space in a library, in a store, or even in your home, right? So... Uh, I think I talked about this on my last episode, the idea of how now people of a, below a certain age and maybe even people as old as in their 30s right now, they don't have the broad range familiarity with the pop culture of the past that I had. Because when I went to the library, right, and be at the school library, the county library, whatever, looking for books about things that interested me like cartoons, animation, monster movies, science fiction, whatever, you would find inevitably uh, books about the classic films, old-time radio, right? And not only that, but television, right, which was the dominant form of, you know, getting audiovisual signals into your house. Um, they would always be playing old movies, right, old TV shows, Right, And so as you're flipping around the channels, you would just see stuff and you'd be exposed to stuff. And as a child, you pick up and remember things. It's sort of like a child's ability to learn languages and become familiar with things. So stuff that was way before my time, like the Bowery Boys or East Side Kids series, Abbott and Costello, the Marx Brothers, all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, the old MGM musicals they used to show uh, That's Entertainment a lot on TV. A world that I was not even in, I became rather familiar with because of this uh, the serendipitous nature of it and the lack of density of information, right? 
the information was out there, but it wasn't getting to you, right? So you had to seek it out, and it was this broad channel of information. And I believe that because I grew up in those times and had to really seek out the media and the information, the info stimulation, if you will. I think I made that word up, info stimulation. Um, right? You would have to have this curiosity and this investigative heart, uh, this investigative bent to, to get what you wanted, right? And that, I think, carried over into adulthood, this sense of really striking out and exploring uh, information and media and having a, a hunger for new things, right? My theory is that at a certain point, with cable television first, then with uh, computers and tablets and phones, that children at the point where they can absorb the most, right? Just any of your, your, the, the, your kids or you know, younger relatives, right? They're always on a tablet these days, right? And they're either playing a game or watching a cartoon on the tablet, right? Which is very age appropriate. It's cartoons and games for children, but that's what they're filling their heads with. As me and everyone else of my age and earlier, our heads were being filled with the, the adult world stuff. We didn't want it, but we, we got it anyway, flipping through the channels, watching what our parents were watching, right? Even looking through books, like my parents had, uh, you know, like the Charles Adams cartoons from like the magazines. Like the, I, don't know, I don't know what he was in, but he was like a single panel comic strip, kind of like the New Yorker comics. Just being so starved for information, just reading all those, and then under, oh, that's where the Adams family came from. And then watching tons of Adams family uh, episodes in, in reruns on TV. So we have a generation now of, of children that were fed. Uh, yes, it was child appropriate, but that information of those uh, specific cartoons and games really was more really focused on children and not part of our general culture, right? So they were, I think, they don't have any familiarity with you know, you talk about anything, any band, any old TV show, they'd have no familiarity with it. And again, I'm talking about the people I've, I've encountered. I think this is a pretty big, big issue because of the Internet and because of these new technologies, right? People are becoming much more narrow in their focus. And not just that, but since they can get whatever they want instantly, instant gratification, they lack that urge to seek out new things. Right, and they're very complacent. Like, just grab a tablet, and whatever you want will be in front of you. Great cartoons, great children's games. That follows into adulthood a lack of uh, seeking out new things, right? And that I think has been one of the, and I and I think everyone has seen this. The internet is fairly new historically, and um, for those of us that were older, right, it's a great thing. I already was developed as a human being before it came along, right? And I am someone who, you know, I am very into computers, but some people that are older than me, have always, a lot of them have never fully embraced computers or the internet, and they're always very confused by it. They can't figure it out. I've run into a lot with older people. I'm like, okay, well, um, you know, I sent you a PDF. Just download it to your hard drive and, and, and open it. They're like, okay... I see your email. There's a, there's a PDF file. I hit download, but I, 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 I don't see it anymore. 
I'm like, well, you, you downloaded it to a folder on your computer. It, you know, they're like, well, what? What do you mean it's on the computer? I mean, I don't see it on the desktop. I'm like, no, there's a, there's a file system with, with hierarchical f- structures. There's a root level of each drive, and then there's folder. And that, older people just can't get that. They're like, but it's a computer. Like, what do you mean? Where, where is it? That itself. So I feel like I'm sort of straddling the two worlds, that old world and new world. That's my generation, Generation X. We were very much part of both worlds, right? I'm old enough to have experienced the world before the Internet, but I'm young enough that, I'm, that I have embraced computers and everything else. So I feel like, weirdly, like I'm in a very unique uh, situation where... Again, I grew up without the internet um, and generally without computers until, you know, I, I mean, we had uh, some scientific calculators we used to play with. And then in 77, the Apollo 2001 Pong machine, even though the Atari, uh, came, the Atari VCS slash 2600 came out in 77, we didn't get it until like 79 or 80. And I didn't get a home computer until a few years later when I got the TI-99 4A. And those generally weren't on the internet back then, right? Those, again, here's another thing. Those first computers, when you turn them on, there'd just be a flashing cursor. And you could just start writing basic programs right there. So a lot of kids of around my age would just learn programming just by playing around with that computer. Everyone did. You just type 10 space print quote hello unquote 20 go to 10. Then you type run and it would just show hello 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 or you sometimes they would say hello world you know um and then until you 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 would hit a break a key to break the program like command c or something whatever the equivalent was on those computers and that really taught people how to program that's not what it's like anymore so that old phrase be careful what you wish for you just might get it um i don't know that i feel like the way i grew up and again, the 20th century, where I grew up, very unique time period in terms of its the sweep of technology between really the steam age and then the a- analog electronics, digital, digital electronics, and then the internet and streaming, right? That happened very quickly, historically speaking. So I feel like there's this almost magical time period that I experienced. And I know you might say, well, Frank, it's because you... Uh, you know, everyone romanticizes them when they were 14 or whatever they were into. But no, it, I was also 14 at a time when there was this vast switchover of the way our technology intersected with culture, with culture and media. So what I'm trying to say about Internet 2022 is that it's reshaped society and in a worrying way because obviously in a, in, in a few decades, all of us will, or a few centuries, we'll all be gone and they'll just be people who have been who have been raised in this world, this new world of uh, internet, right, and digital media. And um, I don't know. Can you go back? It's just sort of like, can I go back to a library? Well, yeah, I can go back to a library, but would I go back to a library? No, it feels artificial. I know there's parents who restrict their children's screen time these days. Maybe that helps a little bit, but I was I was raised in a household. In fact, I'm at the household I was raised in here. Well, I moved here in 72. First few years of my life, I lived in on Hamilton Street in New Brunswick, probably about 40 minutes from here, half an hour from here. But anyway, driving-wise. 
driving motor vehicles. <laughs> I know the people in the future may have trouble understanding what I'm talking about. What everything that seems so obvious to me in the future will not be so obvious. Just take a pill. You take a pill. What was that from? That was uh, Gene Wilder and Zero Mostel in, in the uh, the producers. You take a pill. Hey, you want to take that 20th century pill? You'll understand what I'm saying better. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Get that big glass of water and get your 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 education pill. Learn about the 20th century through a pill, and then come back and you'll understand what I'm saying. Anyway, will they ever have that education pills? Probably. Anyway, so I love the internet in a way that I don't know. Maybe uh, in a hundred years, people won't be able to enjoy it. Like they won't care about stuff as much as like they won't care about old stuff as much as I care about old stuff. That magical sense of your memory. Like for example, this uh, shopping plaza down the street uh, across from the Present Run in Warren, New Jersey. They had a little store called. Uh, Bantam, and I, I remember just one time getting Tenti, a, a, a Tenti set, which was sort of an alter, an alternate to Legos. It was from Spain, I think. Tenti, T-E-N-T-E. And ever since then, I've been sort of like obsessed with the concept of Tenti and like looking into it, and because I remembered it from my childhood. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be quite the same in the future. So is. Is this the greatest time for the internet only for like Generation X, like me? It's a, maybe it's a unique experience. So internet in 2020, if you're older than me, if you're a, a boomer, okay, boomer, generally born before 19, whatever, post-war and up to 64, I don't know if you're getting as much out of the internet as I'm getting, you know, if you're a boomer or greatest generation, whatever the previous generations were. So my father is the of the previous generation because he was born in 41, right before World War II. So boomers were born at, at 45 and after, I believe. Because all the soldiers came back and they uh, they boomed it up with their with their wives and had a ton of kids, you know. They, that was the baby boom. Anyway, and I think that perhaps here in 2022, the people that are younger are getting a very different sort of experience out of the internet. And uh are maybe a, a different quality or tone. Just like I said, there's a different quality going to a library and getting stuff rather than getting it on the internet. Going on the current internet, and if you're, you know, if you're like 25 now, you're going to have a very fairly different, I think, experience with the internet than I have. Also, you know, I was actually an adult and working in New York City before the internet. So, like in uh, like 1990, I got my first job commuting into New York City on a train and uh, you'd get a newspaper, you'd get a magazine, you'd have a Walkman, a cassette Walkman to listen to stuff on. So I did everything before the internet and it was, it was fine. And I've embraced every bit of technology, every, every MP3 player, CD, this, that, you know, everything, the phones, I've embraced everything. But I, since I experienced the, before the internet, it's, it's very strange how, as I, as I mentioned, it seems that pocket supercomputers with, with wireless access to all-world knowledge would – and what do we used to say? You have a pocket supercomputer with access to all-world knowledge and you just look at pictures of cats, you know. But that sentiment, even though that's in sort of a meme form, really is relevant 
what else could or should we be doing with this incredible, incredible access that we have? Um, and I think you found, we found one of the things is that um, your worldview these days is very colored by um, somewhat arbitrary uh, political lenses so that you, uh, anything you see or hear or read, all the information you intake, you uh, sort of filter it through your political system. In fact, you'll, you'll commonly see articles or posts online about something that has no, no political content whatsoever, content whatsoever, and yet people start making comments about politics, right? So I think that, you know, you could just completely censor the Internet like they have in some countries, and I know they've started censoring it here too. But anyway, before, a few years ago, they really weren't censoring it here to any great degree. What you do is to ha- allow people to have access to information, you have to censor it inside everyone's head through um, political indoctrination of various sorts, right? And I think, you know, one thing I've been super into that the Internet has certainly been a big part of is conspiracy theories. And um, even the word itself is, is a pejorative term. It, is a criti- it, it criticizes it. Uh, oh, you're nuts. You're, you're a conspiracy theorist, you know. Um, I think that word started with the Kennedy assassination. Uh, people that didn't accept the official story, um, you know, at that point in the 60s, right, it had to be through magazines and person to person, you know, the knowledge, the information that like, listen, I don't think a single a single gun could have done this to Kennedy, you know, there in Dealey Plaza, which I almost went to last month or two months ago, month and a half ago. Anyway, I, didn't, I wound up not going because I got COVID. But anyway... I would have gone to Dealey Plaza where Kennedy got shot. It's like a big museum now. The book depository is a big museum. I was never that into the Kennedy stuff, but, right, there's a huge amount of information out there, the secrets of what's going on behind the scenes, right? And it, 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 without uh, censorship, you might imagine that the powers that be would have worried that, wow, all of our secrets will be revealed. All of our, you know, uh, sorted secrets, now that there's this, everyone has a supercomputer in their pocket with all that has access to all world knowledge, how can we keep this stuff a secret of what we're doing behind these terrible things we're doing behind the scenes? So censorship, right, which, yes, China, whatever, has been doing, and other countries do major censorship on the Internet, but here in the U.S. and the... Uh, the, f- the former first world, whatever you want to call it, was not doing a lot of censorship. But with things like what we know as, as, of as conspiracy theories, right, I think this itself is a conspiracy theory, but they would not censor the truth that was out there. They would have known it, what was true and not, depending on what level they were at. Um, but to pollute the water, so to speak, with uh, a hundred or a thousand times more uh, made-up stuff that is just completely fictional that they threw out amongst the truth, right? So you could never know what was true, even though if you're into conspiracy theories, some of the stuff you're seeing is absolutely true, but it's it, it's sort of like a pebble on the beach of or sand. What, what is the right? A pebble, 
islands in the stream, pebbles. You know what I'm saying? It would be like, how would you know which out of the thousand different conspiracy theories was actually the true one? You know, you wouldn't know. So I think that's been a, a real hallmark of the internet is the rise of um, signal to noise, like creating endless fake conspiracy theories to hide the real truth. And then, you know, um, you know, like someone like Alex Jones these days, you know, he people call him um, COINTELPRO, you know, counterintelligence program. And anyone that disagrees with anyone in conspiracies, oh, you're, 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 cu- you're counterintelligence, you know, you're, you're a shill, you're a plant. Which, of course, muddies the waters completely for investigation. And beyond that, I do think that, you know, the human uh, urge towards investigation uh, is paired with the human susceptibility to brainwashing and belief, right? We know people can very easily be made to believe things that are patently untrue and and, and unverified. So by uh, instead of censorship, you can muddy the waters, and then I feel like the flat earth thing is the perfect example of this because I got into the flat earth like in the 90s because I had questions about the the, the shape. I, I, I suspected that the world we're living on is not this ball floating through space, but I certainly didn't know the answer. I had the question, right? I had, re, you know, I, reasons to sort of question it. But then you get this flat earth thing. And when I was in flat earth and in, in, into the flat earth in the 90s, you could tell Charles Johnson and his Flat Earth Society were kind of full of shit. But it was interesting because they were the only ones that were doing that were that that were discussing any matter about the nature, the shape of the world we're living on, uh, other than the official story that we're on this ball floating through space, right? So, instead of an investigation, you fall into this hyper-specific belief system, which is really not uh, backed up by very much evidence at all, no evidence really for the specific conclusions they take. So imagine how uh, uh, shocked I was that uh, around 10 or 15 years ago now, Flat Earth rose again to prominence on the internet. And again, those people with that investigative spirit asking a question that it does not really seem from our place on Earth here for any number of reasons, the way the sky looks, the, the way the stars behave, aspects of the moon, and even just gut feelings, you might ask the question, is the, um, are we really on this ball hurtling through space at unimaginable speeds? I think that's a very good question. And of all the investigation I've done, I still feel it's a good question, but I have never found one answer that seems particularly meaningful. It's actually a mystery, and, I, and I, I'm living with the mystery. But when Flat Earth came back on the Internet, right, it became a full-blown belief system that was uh, lacking in evidence. I mean, the evidence people have, such as, um, you know, looking across a body of water and seeing buildings across a body of water that should be below the horizon if the earth had a curve, yes, that, that's a good, uh, that, that's actually a good experiment and that's a good observation. 
doesn't mean the earth is a flat disk. It just means that for some reason you're seeing the buildings and the curvature doesn't seem to be happening. That raises more questions. Well, why aren't we seeing the curvature? A lot of people say it's an optical illusion, that light is bending in some way, yada, yada. Okay, whatever. Does not prove that the earth is a flat disk with a dome over it, right? But I've observed people um, believing this with all their heart. They started out with an investigative spirit, but they quickly fell into belief and they were neutralized, right? They won't explore any further. They're now in a belief system. Right? So starting off, here's a person that notices some inconsistencies and starts investigating. This is the person that is the threat to the status quo of, of the controllers that could find out the truth. Right? If you can find any way to neutralize that person's investigation, then that person is no longer a threat. So in this one tiny narrowband instance of the flat earth, right? Those people investigating the matter have been neutralized. They're not going to continue investigating because they found the answer, the flat earth, even though I personally feel that while I still have the question, that is not a particularly compelling answer because it lacks evidence. It lacks so much. I'm not going to believe in that. And I th I'm thankful to whatever that I have not fallen into that type of belief. Now let's zoom back a bit, right? In all areas of information, right, of which this flat earth thing is one of thousands, tens of hundreds of mil thousands or millions of different topics where the truth can be hidden in plain sight. As long as you muddy the waters with all sorts of um, uh, uh, false things that are sort of on equal footing in terms of the investigation and then encouraging belief you have now then taken care of the problem without, without censorship. And I think it's been working for them up until recently, obviously, when censorship um, started emerging in a big way uh, when it came to uh, recent history, like uh, Donald Trump claiming the 2020 election was, was, was rigged or anything questioning the, the mainstream narrative on COVID-19 just blatant censorship has started to be used, right? So I'm not sure really why we got to that point, but, you know, maybe all these other methods could work for more fringe topics, but maybe a big topic like that requires actual censorship to, uh, to, to, to really neutralize the threat to the, to the uh, controllers in theory. These are all just theories anyway. I love the internet in 2022. I'm on it all the time, researching obscure topics, playing video games, listening to music, watching TV shows and movies, all sorts of things. It's a fun, it's a fun, it's a fun. Internet in 2022 is fun, but obviously there's the dark side as well. Back to you, Pete. Oh man, <clears throat> yeah, the internet. I mean, I, 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 I love I save love. I live on the internet, and uh, it has, in so many ways, changed and enhanced my life in ways that uh, at other times I would be that I'd go into. But 
did not today uh but yeah this this is a wonderful thing and i like it a whole lot um it it's that there's i really feel like as time goes on a lot of the things we all like i mean is, is, uh, are going to become more commodified but i think that's just in general and uh, you you can't blame the internet and in a capitalistic situation it's almost like who knows i the i'm the, not going there particularly besides pointing it out either because i don't know and at this point uh i think the driveline level uh has hit a really nice this has been a good show and i am so appreciative to frank and doc for uh their contribution and and to you for uh putting up with uh all of this and uh and now we're gonna try to get you to join in next week now next week right here the topic is marvel comics i know we've talked about comics i don't think we've specified it down and it and it's it is a a good and apt topic and maybe it'll take us out of uh at the we into the fun yeah because fun fun is crucial especially in these trying times so we are going to have fun and i'm inviting you to participate i mean uh, well you don't need to make a scholarly lecture uh tell us about the characters you know and love and what you think about them uh, tell us what you don't like tell us the entire proceeding is juvenile and uh what if any uh thing could be done to remedy that and use the form in some more positive way how about that yeah we can we can get deep here but uh here's how it works the deadline for our next get together here on the overnight scape underground will be the 11th of july 2022 at about oh uh yeah get it to me by 7 p.m mountain time uh and that assures you of being in and usually you can get it to me tuesdays these days i check and see if there's a central posted that uh, will give you a good indication of whether you are you get it in and you're on and nothing ever goes to waste uh, we'll put it on the next week's show or you know just just don't feel like there are obstacles feel like i am here to facilitate your uh participating here and uh, the email address is kpqr.torc at gmail.com that is once again kpqr.torc at gmail.com opening up some iced tea my throat got all dry suddenly Uh, that that email address must be specifically throat drying But, uh, yeah, the Merry Marvel Marching Society, if you remember who that is, meets here next week, and we're all part of the magic. Um, Thanks for listening. Set the controls for the heart of the fun. Uh, It's out there. 